Welcome to The Last American Vagabond on this anniversary of September 11th. I've got a special interview planned for you today. Joining me today is former engineer, college professor, and high school history teacher, present-day researcher, writer, and activist, Dr. Bruce Baird, and I'm honored to, dis- to have him on the show today to discuss the larger implications of the 9-11, but the bigger conversation about what these events may have been led to, led up to them, things like Pearl Harbor, even discussing things like COVID-19 and these large inflection points in history and kind of getting into what these events may mean and, and what they may connect to in a much larger conversation. So thank you for joining me today, Bruce. How are you? Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, so I'd, I'd like to uh, start, like I, I, want, I would like to frame today's discussion sort of in the context of uh, last night's watch along for those that might not have seen uh, entitled, you know, the COVID-9-11, the security state to the biosecurity state of James Corbett's documentary and sort of the events that are used to create or justify these unnatural paradigm shifts that we would discuss, at least that I would see. And I believe you agree in regard to 9-11, Pearl Harbor, or even COVID-19. So really, as and I, I was reading a lot of your uh, your work up and up leading up to this interview. And now there's, this is kind of where I want to start with this, that you point out that throughout, throughout us history, but really in the world, but specifically for the contents of, or the, for the discussion today, throughout us history, the U S government has always used outside threats fabricated or otherwise to serve as the government's primary means of control over the population control through fear. So after the Soviet union, the Soviet threat was no longer center stage as the threat de jour, a new boogeyman was needed. And as I see it, this became the U.S.-supported Mujahideen, among others, which later became Al-Qaeda, which led to the creation of ISIS, jumped to the year 2000. The project for the new American century put out Rebuilding America's Defenses, stating that it would be impossible to increase military spending and pursue America's global domination project, quote, absent some catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor. Enter 9-11, the war on terror which used the byproduct or deliberate creation of their past agendas to justify the new one, as we so often see, then jump forward to 2018. Donald Trump says it will be hard to unify the country without a major event. People often forget that one. Enter COVID-19, 2020, the age, uh, as as Whitney Webb coined, the age of your body is the new battlefield. But as your work so aptly points out, Bruce, Pearl Harbor was by no means the first event of its kind. And by that, I mean false flags, or at the very least, an allowed event that was used to justify control. So for today, let's, let's start there. You've listed off things on, on your website, uh, Mexican-American War of 1846, Operation yeah. Northwoods, Gulf of Tonkin, and many more. So what do these events have in common for you? And how do you see that playing into the discussion of 9-11? Well, uh, I know as a professional historian, I was a historian of early American history before the Civil War. That was my field, but... Um, as a teacher, I often had to teach more recent history. So every time I prepared for the next year of teaching, I'd always want to dig up some more stuff or learn a little bit more about each time period. And every time I did, I was sorely disappointed in my historical profession because it was like, uh, I'm finding different things. I mean, just look at the newspapers from the time. If you can find the newspapers, you find different stories than what's in the history books. Like they drop a lot of things and have a certain slant that you won't find. But if you go deeper into like the documents and the, and uh, you find other stories too. So, um, I mean, that was disappointing. I didn't know what to do a lot of times with that kind of material um, because I pretty much had to teach to a textbook. Usually I was a college professor and uh, as a high school history teacher, I had to teach to the textbook, but I would always bring a little bit of this or that, something I found. And the first one I really started doing a number with was the uh, Spanish-American War. You know, the sinking of the battleship Maine 
and uh, all the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, how the yellow journalism of the time pushed the idea that the Spanish, those evil Spanish were behind this thing. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like, I mean, that's yellow journalism. That was their goal. You know, William Randolph Hearst, right. sir. these guys are pushing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I would do that. And uh, the, the next thing I remember really big on was uh, um, I, I found this article on Pearl Harbor. And it was written by a uh, by a very distinguished uh, emeritus, or he was retiring. So a lot of times these retired professors can do this. But he was a political scientist, you know, pretty prominent in his profession. And he was saying that um, the Pearl Harbor story was a myth, you know, that, that Roosevelt knew much more. That Roosevelt had pushed Japanese, had uh, pressured Japanese into and made it easier for them to attack Pearl Harbor. And uh, there was a guy named Robert Stinnett, who was a, a reporter in the Oakland area who had written a book about it. And he said he believed this now, this professor, this guy. And But I remember the slant he had was that, you know what, it was still okay because he was Roosevelt and, you know, he's making the decision. How could we know what was needed in that time period? So even though he believes Roosevelt was complicit in all this and all the other people supporting Roosevelt, remember the small little group that was around Roosevelt knew this, that that was okay because it was probably the right thing to do at the time was to invite a Pearl Harbor so you can get involved with the bad guys over there in Europe. I said, you know, I can teach that. So I started, I had a class I taught with history of World War II. And uh, and so I started teaching every year. I dig deeper and deeper into Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor. And uh, and then one year, about 2005, I remember a student said, "Uh, there is this video, it's gone viral. Uh, It's called Loose Change. Do you want to share that? I was open teacher. You know, some students are interested. Sure. Very rare, by the way. That's very rare for a teacher, <laughs> in my experience. And I said, sure, it's, you know, maybe it's relevant to this history of World War II I'm teaching. And I remember uh, looking at it, and I want to be open-minded about it, but I remember going, said, oh, my God. You know, because another thing I did as an aside, I grew up in New Orleans in the 1960s, uh, right smack in the middle of Jim Garrison investigations, which I read religiously in the newspapers growing up. I was when a young person coming up. And I remember I went to, uh, my parents took us to see Rush to Judgment. I don't know if you read the well-known book, but it was a documentary that came out in the movie theaters. And they took us to the fancy theater, downtown New Orleans, to watch Rush to Judgment. And that just fed into all this sort of thinking that was very prominent in New Orleans in the 60s. And, you know, Jim Garrison was not unusual. There were a lot of people supported those investigations he was doing. And I remember being scared to death of David Ferry. I don't know if you ever saw the movie JFK, David Ferry. Yeah. Joe Pesci plays it, but uh, scary. I saw a picture of the guy. He lost all of his hair, so he had fake eyebrows. Oh, the guy scared me. I mean, I see his picture on the front page of the newspaper. I'm reading about this stuff. And, uh, but, you know, after a while, that all died down. And every few years, I would want to go back and see, well, what happened to that story about the uh, JFK? I mean, did they ever figure anything about that out? And I'd go back, and i started doing a little research, and it was a mess. It was like, oh, my God. He said, she said, oh, I mean, we're talking about through the 70s and then the 80s. You know, I, I couldn't make sides. It's put it away. And uh, the movie JFK came out. And it's like, oh, I tried to talk to you about that. Oh, people in New Orleans didn't want to talk about that at all. It's like, mm-hmm. they're done with that. They're finished with Jim Garrison. was crazy. Oh, but you know what? You guys didn't think he was so crazy back in this. Oh, they didn't want to have anything to do with that attitude. Oh, right. So, opinions always shift over time. Like we were yeah. before we got live talking about before it was you're not allowed to mention 9-11. Now you're not allowed to get into COVID in certain circles. It's always right. like that. It shifts but that's what loose change remind me of. It's, oh my God! All oh, what you can do with photography, what you can do with video, I'm not gonna ever make sense of any of that stuff. You know, it's like, and I told, I remember the attitude in 2005 was, you know what? If there was some truth to this, 
some historian <laughs> would have revealed this already. I mean, I was sort of still very naive in terms of my faith. And I mean, I can the, comment I, on that really, really quickly. That's such an that that is exactly what we're seeing today in the same right is that there's there's this kind of leading like thought process and people in positions of authority. Well, you know, well, if it was true, other people would be talking about it. And it kind of progresses that way. And it, it's so it's even somebody like you who had, you know, you were showing today, you, looking back and you've evolved your opinion on this stuff. We're still and it's just so fascinating to me that people can be in that position, you know, and oh, yeah. And, that's why I think it's. I mean, I was psyched about. I I told my story a few times about nine eleven. I was totally psyched by it. I remember we all were before, you know. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I go back. I look. I've done the history of the truth movement, nine eleven truth movement, and see how slow that evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, Hidden start before they started kicked in around two thousand six or five or so. But uh, it it was like um, I on that day. I remember I was I was substitute teacher that year, two thousand and one, two thousand two, and. And I heard something going in New York City, and I turned on the television, and, and the, both buildings were on fire. And I remember, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with here. And about a half hour into me watching television, I'm watching ABC. Peter Jennings is the news anchor. And he said, they're ta, 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 talking with somebody, you know, John Miller or somebody up there. And there's like some kind of green screen behind them projecting the image of what's going on in Manhattan there, Lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And as he's sitting there talking, the building, <laughs> which was later known as Tower Two, is like started doing something. What the hell is that? And he's sitting there for I swear to God, thirty seconds. He's sat there talking, oblivious to this what's going on behind. I've never seen a, I've never seen a video showing that what the sort of they always show them talking. They never show that behind them was a screen. Mm-hmm. And I said, turn around, turn around, damn it! What the hell is that? And I swear, it's like, oh my god! I was like crazy. And then a half an hour later, oh my God. And then I, I remember continuing to watch it. And at the end, they kept talking about this other building going to come out. This other building's going to come mm-hmm. out. I mean, it wasn't just the lady from BBC. It was like all right, day long. Right. This other building's coming. This other building. And I'm saying, what the, what the? And there it comes all of a sudden. Oh, and I remember watching, saying this to myself. I did over and over. I didn't know buildings did that. I didn't know. I mean, I said it like mumbling to myself. Nobody else, my wife, kids weren't there. Like, I didn't know. And that's about where I left it. I did not want to know well, about it. And, and then here comes loose change. And they're talking, oh, my God, I don't still want to know about this. Right. Sh- shout out to Jason sense. Burmis, who, who was involved with that documentary. He's a friend of ours. But what's, what's interesting is, you know, that, that in that moment right there, that's kind of the same thing. Like, I'm not an expert on building demolition, but you see that and you go, well, that's pretty clearly, you know, that building seven in particular. But what's interesting is then you get somebody who steps out as a so-called expert and says, no, this is what happened. And all the people out there that are trained to think like that, even though your gut tells you, obviously, that doesn't make sense. You take a step back and you go, OK, well, he's the expert. You know, somebody else would say something. And it's, it's this it, they take advantage of people's willingness to trust authority. You know, and I think that's such an important part of all this. And before we get further into 9-11 in general, I so going back to the events that we discussed beforehand, I do think this is important for people to understand. We, so we mentioned the main, you know, we've talked about, you know, I mean, any one of these discussions, the Gulf of Tonkin. So in my opinion. Each one of these events either are false flags or something that was either allowed to happen or some there's a dishonest tactic to it that allowed it to be used for the benefit, which typically ends up at the expense of, of human life. So would you agree with that? And do you think that there or would, that, would you agree with that in the context of things like Pearl Harbor and 9-11? Do you see those as false flags or at the very least events that were allowed to happen? Is that how you view those? I see uh, in the early days, I, I viewed it as our government had a very big interest in 
claiming the other guys shot first. <laughs> it's the first mm-hmm. shot. I mean, Lincoln did that at Fort Sumter. Right, uh, right. Pope did that at the Nueces River. You know, where our army is crossed the border and they're pushing it. You know, they know they're pushing it. They want to have some Mexican troops fire at them. And right, that makes right. it into history books now. That textbooks, will, they have no trouble. Now, yeah. That's so long ago, they could <laughs> yeah. talk about, you know, well, maybe it was a little shady. And Lincoln, that was his big speech he had when he was a, a two-year congressman. He he ran, you know, that this was a, this was like, you said, a false flag. This was like a, a effort to try and push war. And then he right. got defeated and then come back again. Well, it took, took the very action that they knew would drive the response that they, they wanted. I mean, that's Pope exactly. wanted that land. Exactly. You know? Well, so, so this is the bigger question as a historian, right? Do, do you think that there are any U.S., may, let's say major U.S. conflicts that weren't started in some way by something like that? Well, you know, again, well, that doesn't have to be false flag, but at the very least something that was sort of allowed to happen or that we're not fully informed about in, in your well, opinion I, as a historian. I know that uh, the American leadership know very well how to motivate the American people to get behind the war. You right. know, you get the other guys, you, you paint them as evil, you know, and you make them fire the first shot or it's, whatever it is, you know, somehow tailored that they were the bad guys. They were the ones who started this whole thing. You were innocent. You want nothing to do with it. I remember there's an article James Perloff did. I don't know if he, he, he went and said that what happened at Lexington was, uh, <laughs> was that there was some, uh, patriots, you know, who fired some shots from a tavern there the, to get the whole thing started. Because always the question, that's one that they never, nobody knows officially who fired the first shot at Lexington. And Prof said, it was these damn patriots who wanted to start a war. You know what? Knowing what I know that I said, I would tend to believe that, you know, nobody else has picked up on that story, but I thought that's interesting. You know, I like another, that story. Another way to say that, you so from the perspective of somebody who agrees with it, the Patriots trying to, or another way to say that is agents who, who executed a false flag to start a war. I mean, it's, it's all perception, you know, it's really somebody who decided to take a shot that knowing that they knew would essentially drive the larger action that would develop into the, what the, and the social engineers wanted to accomplish, you know, and I think that's the, the larger point to all of this stuff is I think that it's obvious that you could see that the, there are the, there are government actions involved with every one of these larger inflection points in history that have driven into more control over the population, usually using fear around the event. And right. I think this is why nine 11 was such an important event for, I mean, I would say COVID's become more important for people being aware of that, but nine 11 was one of these events that people that were in the know have been trying to draw attention to since it happened, because it really is an obvious example as Corbett's documentaries have made clear that they are absolutely lying about, I mean, enti- the entirety of the story and what it was, what was, it was really about. So discussing nine 11 specifically, I, I really do think it's, it's paramount that people understand the most basic reality of this event that I don't think anybody can disagree with when looking at all the facts that our government and other governments were involved with what happened. Do you, do, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I could, the closest I've got to um, that in my own research is I, uh, as an historian, I've gone back and looked at the media coverage mm-hmm. of, uh, which by the way, you can do for all these events like world war one, world war two, you can see the media, the way it's not just the government does something, the media sells it to the American people. Right. And on, uh, and I found that in more recent events with these crises like 9, uh, 9-11 or this Beirut bombing that I've done, the, the media has to come up with what will be the official story within hours, literally. The story, or think of Lee Harvey Oswald, within hours, that story has to be pushed. And, uh, and then later people can question, it doesn't matter. Because as far as, if you can get those first few hours, you've got the story. You can wrap it up in a boat. Then you can take care of any truth tellers or questioners later on. You know, you can nip them off or isolate them or whatever you want to do. 
So uh, with 9-11, I went back and unfortunately there is this wonderful website that's preserved all of these network news videos. And I went and I analyzed. Uh, my goal was to kind of look for clues as to an official story being pushed. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear from the first in fact, I'm retreating that today, like my whole series I did on that one, uh, that from the very minute of that South Tower falling, collapsing, or whatever, you, they, they called it collapse, right? Right away, it was called collapse, whatever that was. But within the first minute, they, uh, you know, um, well, that's a different story. That's a, oh, that's just, a lead please, to it. please continue. Okay. I'm just showing your thread for people to see your. Okay. Your, your yeah. So this is the one I. Yeah. I also have been retweeting various other things too about mm-hmm. it, but um, the uh, if you can pull it up, probably it's coming up pretty soon. I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah. I can grab it. If anything. Oh, that's part of it. What you see now is part of it. Sorry. <laughs> so if you go to that, oh, right there, that is right there. So there, I'm singling out uh, Netanyahu and Zelikov. Uh, for and I started a lot of times with my threads. I started out with provocative uh, images and statements to get people into it, and then mm-hmm. I go into a lot of detail. But this one is a, it usually starts with a question. I don't make an assertion about anything about. It. I just say question. And uh, but the whole purpose of that thread, which was a fairly long thread, was to um, to go look at minute by minute along every network. Uh, channel that was on this website, which I think is all pretty much all of them, talking about 9-11, that uh, what story they were spinning, what story were the one they were spinning. And I said it was very remarkable within the first minute. It started on Fox. Fox was the leader in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are these, um, uh, you know, the anchors of these ones, but also the reporters reporting in are spinning the story that it was quite natural for a building to be hit by planes high up and for them to collapse it was the heat the impact but mostly the heat of the cause the softening of the structure so that this upper part of the building crushed the building below this had never happened before but it was quite understandable and they pushed it like it was natural it was natural and all day long every network got on board the story and also by the way osama bin laden was the one who was the only person who was in a position to be able to do that you and know. they somehow knew this within like an hour. Like, oh, right within, away. <laughs> oh, within the first hour. Yeah, this is all out there. And then every talking head, including, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, I can't remember. Oh, some I can't remember the guy who was the Israeli prime, former prime minister, but not Netanyahu, but the other guy who came on. And he was saying, oh, I think it might be, you know, the kind of thing that Osama bin Laden might do. But they all, all the networks are pushing and their talking heads are all pushing it. Mm-hmm. But my thing, I was really focused on the issue of quite natural as, you know, sort of a, my engineering focus and trying to figure out what happened. That was the thing that blew my mind. 9-11, mm-hmm. how did this happen? How did these buildings do what they did? Was uh, looking at who was, how did they push that official story? And it was like from the first minute, literally. Everybody knows about the Harley guy. You know, if, if you watch anything on, you know, the guy who says, oh, you know, I saw it. It was like, it was, he couldn't stand the, it was, how does this Harley guy, who is this person? He's a Fox <laughs> freelancer. He's coming into the, and everybody said, oh, yeah, he's a he's one of those, uh, you know, fake actors. He's, you know, crisis actor. He said, yeah, but he was saying something two hours after the network news were saying this. This is nothing new. Yeah, he's right. a talking, he's a, you know, crisis actor maybe, but the other anchors were all saying this too. So, um, you know, I said, well, to me, that's ding, ding, you know, they know what's happening. They don't come up with the story. Yeah, two hours after, maybe somebody's coming up with a cover story, but they well, knew about I- this from the first minute. I would add too that the we, we people just like any other field people tend to give media a lot more credit where it's, you know 
a lot of these people are just petty individuals that are really just do, doing whatever they can to get ahead, to get the info. You know, it's, they love to call it the fog of breaking news, which only really means they just report whatever they're told by some intelligence asset, which may, sometimes that's true, right? Sometimes they have information, but you'll find a lot that these people are just trying to be the first to say, which happens a lot in the independent media too today, you know, where yeah. they're just trying to be the first to say what they think is the important thing, even though nobody's really checked that, which I think is really important for even back then, by the way, but much more today with how much social media there is. There's a lot of fake stuff flying around. But you can also use it to get real time things like the people that were down at the bottom who just got out saying I heard explosions or the firemen talking about the buildings exploding on the way down. Like these are things that people pushed aside today. But that was happening right in the beginning while the narrative was still being set. Right. And it completely challenges the bigger story. Right. And there's a lot right. of that out there. And I see these little earphones they have in their ears. They're telling them what to say. You know, you can see that they're right. pausing. And then, OK, we have news now. So they're getting fed this story. I don't think they're making it up. Somebody's feeding them the story. And gradually all the networks are telling the same story. And then the New York Times and the big newspapers come on board. Uh, the experts all come on to the, the network news to tell, pretty much confirm it. Although you see these experts, sometimes they know nothing. I mean, they're like they're mouthing things. You know, it's like they're not experts. Of, uh, mm. They're just there to repeat the story. Right. They're so, the expert that's willing to say the thing that works for their agenda. And that's why they get hired. <laughs> in yeah. most cases, and the experts who slip in and say something different, like some this guy in New Mexico was a professor down there who said something got into the papers. And two days later, oh, no, I, he changes his mind. They right. always change their mind if they happen to say something. They don't know that what they're saying is going to go up against their thing. But they thought, you know, what they're based on their, their real expertise, they might think. But they all change their mind. And then you're left with nothing until some kind of truth movement comes up to start questioning. Right. But luckily they leave enough clues along the way. I mean, they, they leave this, you know, media available. They leave these stories that don't make sense for people to question. And mm. uh, I don't know whether that's part of the game. I don't know whether whoever's doing this doesn't mind that there are little, you know, gaping holes in their narrative or not, but they are there and they're ripe for the picking for anybody who seriously wants to go looking for them. I haven't, you know, here, well, here's one good. Here's one good thought on that, right? So, I we we briefly talked about this before we got started. I, I think this is something that is, I mean, in my opinion, I would argue this is deliberate to some degree because it, it stopped people from being able to see who is the real culprit while being kind of divided on smaller things. But I also think this just happens because people want to be right about the, you know, the, the division. So, do, do you feel that? A lot of the disputes around the larger 9-11 story, you know, like Pentagon plane, no plane, that kind of thing. Do you feel that those like, you know, all of everybody seemingly trying to seek to reveal the greater truth around 9-11. But do you feel that those disputes can sometimes cause people to miss the forest for the trees? Right. Like we get mired in the smaller, albeit very important, but smaller details and miss the larger point again that the U.S. government was simply involved. And we all seem to know that. But we kind of, you know, do you, do you see that as a problem or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I see myself as this historian slash engineer cutting through bullshit. That's what I see myself, regardless of which side it is. I, I, my, my research tends to focus on things that nobody else focuses on. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, a, you know, and a lot of people like it, but I'm the only one doing the actual research. They like it or retweet it or whatever. Um, I tend to find myself um, isolated from mainstream 9-11 truth movement. I mean, even though I'm one of those 3,600 signatories to the uh, petition, the 9-11 truth petition, um, they never, ever retreat me. They ignore me. And other people within that movement ban me, you know, or they, they keep me. It's like, I am, I am like what you would say. I am somebody trying to stir stuff up. I am a disinformation. I am, 
They don't it's argue with the evidence. Yeah. They don't say, look what you did. You know, right. like, um, I'm a, they don't do that. Uh, they get, in fact, more impact on my evidence from like the people who are the so-called debunkers, you know, or the whatever they want to call themselves, the people who defend the official story. And they go yeah. after people like a 9-11 truth. At least they did. They usually right. have a time period they do it and then they kind of drop by the wayside. But, uh, you know, sometimes you know, I think, oh, I would side maybe with debunkers. No, they don't talk about the things I talked about. They uh, very rarely has an overlap between either the debunkers or the truth movement. Mm -hmm. And so all these other people who come in claiming to know the truth, like, oh, they're going to think contrary to AE 911, um, but and they claim to know the truth, um, or the defenders of those people who claim to know the truth. I said, mm, uh, I don't think so, because here's the list of questions I have, and they can't answer that, or they, they, they use the same tactics right. against me. That you know that uh, mainstream media uses against a nine eleven truth. You know, and it's I, like they they try to say you're crazy or you're full of it or they call you at homonyms or something. And I would say but, for, more to the point that they just refuse to even engage with the questions you're interested in. Right? right, and I think that's the bigger example of why it's kind of willful ignorance. And and I would say the largest point that I think becomes so contentious and it shouldn't be because there's plenty of evidence is the Israeli involvement for the conversation. So let, let's talk about that. Can you speak to what your research has shown in regard to Israel's involvement in 9-11? You know, start wherever you'd like. Sure. Well, I will say this. Um, I, when I started my research, I was not thinking about who well, I was not, I was trying to figure out what happened. So that was my whole concern. I, I but I, along the way I came across uh, the work Christopher Boleyn. Mm -hmm. I remember also thinking that there was a, I had some, a student who was um, a, a staunch Israeli. I mean, I, he was a staunch defender of Israel in my classes. You know, if I said something contrary or negative, he could jump on it. And I remember just out of the blue talking, this was like a world cultures class and talking about 9-11 and questioning 9-11. And I remember him saying, like mumbling on his breath, he said, the Jews did it. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, What? <laughs> I never would have thought such a thing. Like, what mm -hmm. do you think is crazy? Uh, but it's like, that was this attitude, like a knee-jerk reaction to this. Was, he, was, was that him saying that was his thought or was he implying that? was his that? thought. Okay, well, he's that's... echoing somebody who probably said, don't talk, don't question the truth, the a, you know, the 9-11 consensus or whatever the official story. Mm -hmm. Because somehow if you question it, you're trying to say the Jews did it. And to me, right. it's like, it, this I, is that's a classic pitfall to all of the like. This is the same conversation we bump up against all the time when we're saying the Israeli government committed X, Y, and Z crime in one of these locations, and you get the allegations of anti-Semitism. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, nobody here is going to argue that there's not such a thing as racism or anti-Semitism, but it's wildly dishonest just to label something as racist when that's not even remotely what we're getting into. And I think that can you question it? Because well, I mean, of the labor of the racists or an anti-Semite, just by questioning something that's an official. Exactly, story. exactly. And this overlap is something that I look. There are genuine people out there that would try to make the argument that they think that is the argument. That this is a Jewish, you know, uh, conspiracy. I flatly disagree with that. I think it's obviously Zionism if we're going to make any distinction. But the Israeli government involvement is really the important overlap to this because it's very, very, very. It's verifiable, you know. So I think by labeling it as something as you know, this this one grouping of people is involved is about trying to hide that very obvious fact. And I think that's how it gets played very often. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, that's the way to try and discourage people from questioning. I mean, I'm familiar with those, I'll have with Jeremy Corbett in Great Britain and any else time it's come yeah. up, you know, you right. know, and who those nefarious, you know, Zionist groups that are behind all these start, you know, you know, in the United States as well, there's an ADL or whatever. Um, uh, 
But uh, so I've seen this before and also the way people are attacked. People who I thought have legitimate questions are attacked mm-hmm. uh, by these groups for anti-Semitism, you know, and stops them, gets them fired from jobs or, right. you know, gets them from being published. And I said, well, that's to me, that raised a lot of questions like, uh, you know, who is it that doesn't want you to talk about things? So that was also I started getting a question. I ran across Christopher Boleyn's work, too, mm-hmm. uh, early on. Um, and in fact, retweeted a lot of his stuff that he had. Um, where he's basically blaming the, the the Zionists for doing this and listed a lot of evidence. Uh, I read his books too, his articles. And, so, and he's doing that very early on. And uh, so it's like, all right. But my evidence, what I was looking for, wasn't touching on that. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's out there. Now, where I got into the question was uh, about who was by doing all this work on the question of what happened and how it was covered the cover-up story, mm-hmm. that whole thread I was talking about is basically part of the cover-up story. And when I started doing that, I started seeing a pattern. And this happened, got stronger and stronger as I looked at other things other than 9-11. I started, uh, I was, um, uh, I started coming across the whole a group of people, at least a couple of people, physicists who were working on the idea that nukes, nuclear weapons were used on 9-11. People like uh, Heinz Palmer and... Uh, and his, he had a wonderful website. I still encourage people to look at his website. But uh, he uh, led me to work with people like Joe Viles. You know, uh, the question about who this Joe Viles was. He was supposedly an online Australian investigator. Uh, but a lot of people, there are people who think he's Ari Benbenashi that mm-hmm. in a Whitney Webb draws upon and uh, Seymour Hirsch, you know, put that uh, he was all over the place. And he... There's this guy, a lot of articles that Joe Viles did talking about Israeli mini nukes, micro nukes, mm-hmm. and uh, talking about ideas that uh, truck bombs can't leave craters. And I started digging into that question. Is that true? Truck bombs can't leave. He's talking about all these attack, you know, these terrorist, so-called terrorist attacks where these truck bombs left craters in London and, uh, you know, and the killing of Hariri, the pre- former prime minister Hariri in, in, uh, in Lebanon. And uh, I started looking through all of the literature, digging into the military stuff and said, lo and behold, yeah, truck bombs can't. Uh, above ground bombs don't blast traders like that. And I found correlations and graphs. And so I started looking at that. And um, so I had all this information. And then what opened my mind totally was the Beirut blast of uh, August 2020. Um, I had also, I hadn't done much with this stuff, but then I was like, I'm looking at this, this, have you seen it? I'm just, you know, a lot of people are trying to disappear that one in the West, mm-hmm. but it's just this monster explosion. And I said right away, oh, that's nuclear. I mean, I had enough information and seen enough of, of uh, yeah. So this is that if you read on the main tweet there, uh, I had an earlier tweet of right within hours of the thing that uh, that led me to uh, question it right away. But mm-hmm. then the news of the uh, information about the crater, this was like a 43 meter deep crater 13 story building just to put that in perspective a 13 story deep crater and it was like 120 wow. to 140 meter wide crater that had been where this uh, explosion had taken place and say oh the, the sea mediterranean sea rushed in to fill it up so that's why you look there at the picture you see uh, that and i said you know what oh this is this is nuclear and when i did my so i did this tweet on like the 9th of August, just, you know, a few days after the bus. And I decided to open it with this, again, a provocative thing. Some people didn't like it because I'm mixing a conspiracy theory about 9-11, which is <laughs> where the hell did the energy come to? Not just 
Twin Tower, not just World Trade Center 7, but the entire World Trade Center complex, anything that had a WTC building. And WTC, you know, uh, World Trade Center 7 was not an original World Trade Center building. Is that, you know, Larry came in and he said, oh, I want to call this World Trade Center 7. So, but it was also destroyed. And, you know, I had done enough research and tweeted enough to know that nobody had really explained how the heck this happened. No official story or chemical source or whatever planes could describe what happened to the World Trade Center complex. And nobody is with 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate is going to be able to explain right. that crater. That story no was so obviously way. Yeah, that story was such an obvious. I mean, there are too many experts spoke up and said that's simply not possible. You but know? So, they're both the official stories. Still, exactly. You argue with them. And uh, and so that said, from that point on, I said, damn it, I'm putting this stuff. And I started doing all these events, everything, you know, that I could possibly. I started doing a whole number on 9-11 going in deep. I started doing all these other terrorist attacks in London in the 90s, uh, the 1983 bombing of the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut. So and, let's and, take let's take a step back before we. Like, so there was a, a bunch of interesting things that I'd like to like. I'd like to go further on the Israeli involvement because there, there's a okay, bunch of overlap yeah. there. But before we do that, the interesting point about the the, the tactical nuke conversation has been brought up. I've seen that throughout the years, brought up many times. Valid arguments that I've made. In fact, there's an older article on uh, the Last American Vagabond. In fact. Which it's unfortunately because of censorship many times around the actual interview is gone, but it's, it was just called exploring nuclear nine eleven with an open and rational mind. And who was you know, with? People, people have brought up conversations about. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What it was? It was written by uh, Tim Bryant, who was an old writer for the website. Okay. Um, and people have brought up conversations like direct energy weapon possibilities. Like I'm, I'm, never, I'm not one to dismiss any of these things. So, it, what is your, what is your opinion on, on? It? Do you feel that that was likely what happened on nine eleven? And if so, give me some in, info on that and why you think that. Well, uh, since I did that original tweet, I've done a lot more research and including more recently, I started doing the same thing for the Beirut blast that I did for 9-11 in going into Twitter because all the breaking news on Beirut on August 4th, 5th mm. was all on Twitter. Everything and, was on and Twitter. That's the point I was actually making before is that that's, I guarantee that's not stuff they put, wanted people wanted to see, but, or that they wanted people to see. But if you're paying attention on real time news, you can get that stuff breaking through from places like Lebanon. You know, I think that's an important thing to remember for, you know, remember half the stuff coming on Twitter could be fake, but you do get real time right. stuff that slips through, you know, and I think but that's you important. do it and uh, enough has been preserved. I mean, they've right. deleted, suspended, blocked. Yeah. You know, all kind Everybody. of things. So it's not really a great historical research. I mean, resource, yeah. but there's enough there. And I look for oddities. People like with the 9-11, I look for people saying things they should not be able to know. People, you know, like they shouldn't know that this, that it's natural for a plane to, you know, within a minute of it coming down, it's natural for it to collapse, <laughs> you know, like, and use that word collapse over and over again the whole rest of the day and make up the official word for what happened. Like, I don't know what happened. I wouldn't call it necessarily collapse. I'd call it something, but mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. So I started doing it for Twitter and it's a lot more tedious. It's like you're talking about like going through this stuff and also different languages. I had, I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of work with Arabic languages and I'm not a native, you know, I'm not a native Arabic speaker, but uh, you know, Google translate. Okay. It's pretty good. I can use that for a lot. And plus I have a lot of contacts now over the years, over these last few years of with people from Lebanon and Arabic speakers. Uh, so I asked them for help, but uh, I started, um, uh, the question again. What was the question? The question was about this, really, oh, or was it about the? You no, know, we'll start back to the, the tactical nuke discussion and just okay, you know, okay. What, what so you think that that was the case? Yeah. All right. So also, I would say the people who pushed the tactical nuke question were was veterans today, mm-hmm. right? And I've had, I've had actual email. I've been in email chains with 
Gordon Duff and Federer today enough to not trust anything they say. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, so I don't know. Sometimes people like Kevin Barrett don't like me saying it, but uh, it's like they. I got involved with them when they got interested in Heinz Palmer's work on 9/11 and the nukes because they had been pushing the idea of mini nukes in 9/11 mm-hmm. for a while and placed in within the buildings that brought it down. And um, I was very familiar with Heinz Palmer because I was actually working with him, editing, helping to edit this book that came out, The Ground Zero uh, book that he put out. And uh, and I saw what the Veterans Day did. They would take something and distort it. They would twist it around. It's like, why not just say what he said? Why twist it and try and make mm-hmm. it whatever was pre-ranged, you know, the story that you already had, which is what they do. They do every time you do it. They did it with my stuff after Beirut. Gordon Duff would take it and use it and try to say it's the same thing that he's already said. They'd use the old stuff. They also, they never edit out the old stuff. They combine the new stuff with old stuff. And it's like thinking, okay, here's new stuff. I like that because that was something that I said. And they combine well, it with old stuff, which is crap. So, aside, aside from the site though, like, so what, what evidence, whether, wherever it came from, what, what evidence was compelling from, for, in your mind in regard to the tactical new? Because, I mean, there's, okay. there's plenty of stuff that, that was brought up by these previous writers and stuff that I've yeah. seen that's pretty compelling that, that suggests. Well, I'll, I'll say in particular on the, uh, the 5th of August, the day after the Beirut blast, I started a thread uh, because the only people were really talking about the idea of this was new was Veterans Today. And mm-hmm. I tweeted that before. I, I take and I, their articles, I summarize them. In fact, that's some of the most popular tweets that I've done was summarizing something from Veterans. And I get a lot more likes than, than they do from when they do it. And so I started doing this one. I was summarizing their article, which had came up, come out that morning on August 5th. Uh, and which it starts with the idea of the of the tactical nukes and missiles, and uh, and they, and then they have the thing about um, this image. Oh, this was a perfect image of the missile uh, taken from a you know their uh, private information, and it had a picture of this thing. And I couldn't tell what it was. I was just retweeting the information. Immediately got inundated by people saying, "That's a bird. That's a bird. That's a bird. That's a bird." I mean, like you know, like, oh my god, how many times can you say that's a bird? And and then finally, somebody actually was, these are people who are not followers of me. They're, I'm being attacked by trolls for saying, by doing this thing. But I, the image was of this thing, which they said as a bird. Finally, somebody who did follow me showed me a video clip in which are images that show where it's quite clear, this is a bird. All right. So, so you, don't, said, you don't think that there was a tactical nuke then? Or you no. do think that that's... Oh, well, it depends on what you call a tactical nuke. All right. So when I did yeah. that uh, thread, when I did that thread uh, on the 9th, I started that thread. Uh, my uh, opinion, and it's still my opinion, I haven't changed my mind on any of this stuff, was that this was placed some like uh, 50 meters under the ground mm. that, that, to make this crater. Basically, to make this crater, it was going to take a five kiloton equivalent nuke, five kilotons TNT equivalent nuke. That's a pretty good sized nuke, but still mm-hmm. could be considered, it's not a big nuke, it's a small nuke. Uh, in terms of the, you know the the weapons that uh, the countries have, but uh, it would have had it been placed like 50 meters under the ground. This is not something that a tactical nuke dropped from a plane or from for a drone or whatever is going to penetrate the ground to 50 meters mm. and detonate. And also, I realized whoever did this is going to all the effort to do what's happening on that day is not going to trust some missile fired from some submarine or whatever to penetrate the ground and plus all the other stuff that was happening on that day. I mean, it wasn't just that there was an earlier explosion. There was firework sounds, there was fire, there was all this stuff. And I said, this is, this is not 
uh, and I didn't buy the ammonium nitrate story right away either. I mean, I, that, that's no way. I knew enough about explosives to know that, you know, 2,000 bags of this ammonium nitrate sitting on the floor of a, for how many, six years? It can just have a fire or whatever that's going to cause it to explode like this right. massive. There's absolutely no way. I mean, anybody knows anything about explosives. Of course, none of the experts would come on to say that all the ones said, oh, yes, of course. No, it's no, it's, it's wrong. Well, but how, how they do, you, do it? How do you factor in the the so uh, University of Alaska, I believe, came out with their study about the I forget the exact number, but that based on their mathematical research, that there had to have been a certain an, um, amount of bombs simultaneously detonated on specific amount of pillars for it to have collapsed the way it did. Have you have you looked into that at all? Yeah, because actually I had to the first uh, that first. Um, film festival I did in Berkeley with the Berkeley 9-11 group. I had to actually introduce some of that information. They chose me as a newbie because I had an engineering background to try to summarize what they'd done, Halsey mm-hmm. had done up there. And, uh, and I followed you, that for a while too. You find it compelling? But, uh, well, at the time, yeah, we were waiting for somebody to like say, uh, yeah, that story is bullshit. You know, the one about, the, <laughs> you know, whatever fires. Yeah. We knew that was raw, but they, I was sort of disappointed that they basically couldn't say what happened. They said, yeah, you know, it'd be something like that, which is what we thought anyway. Yeah, it would have to all these things happening at the same time simultaneously for it to drop down like that. Right. Uh, and so um, that's what you saw. We saw the video. We saw it dropping at free fall. Right. Free fall feet. I remember this, you know, uh, when I was still teaching at the time, I took the that there was an article they came up with. Stephen Jones and said they did published article in some uh, uh, English um, physics journal. And uh, and so this is like a real journal. So I brought the article to my physics teacher there, my my friend there at school, and showed him. And he said, "Look, you can't. This is free fall. Look, they have the graph, the acceleration of a spot there, like it's stopping at free fall. How can you explain that other than um, you know uh, controlled demolition?" And you know what? He actually agreed with me on this. It's fine. Uh, he brought the official story about the twin towers. He said, "But yeah, that looks like controlled demolition." But his argument was, you know what? I think that building was wired for controlled demolition by the powers that be, like the CIA, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, yeah, like, okay, that's uh, that's the way you would argue that, isn't it? Because, you know, I said, you know what? That's a limited hangout. (laughs) At that point, I was very suspicious of World Trade Center 7 because I know at some point, oh, pull it. Right, right, exactly. They're going to say they wired that thing for demolition. And so you're going to put all your effort into that story? No. Well, I mean, it, it definitely could be. I, I just think it's interesting that we can have such blatant everybody who everybody knows what he meant. There's only one phrase that, you know, one yeah. field of work that it uses the term pull it. And, it. You know, yeah. And so but the fact is that he says that that was a choice. So it's interesting that that just that just seems like like it might be that ever, even the larger, which I definitely believe is a larger conspiracy, might, this might have just been Singer just trying to take advantage himself and took the action there. But I think he clearly has his ties to larger, you know, apparatus, intelligence, and otherwise as well. So that's the like that that brings it back to the the Israeli part of the conversation. Okay. You know, I think this is a really important part. Uh, Whitney wrote about this. Uh, this was in 2019. Yes, New released that. FBI document shed light on apparent Mossad foreknowledge of the 9/11 attacks. These are the dancing Israelis right. in actual colors. Um, so, you know, what what are your thoughts on that in general? So, go deeper in, into you know what you understand about Israeli involvement, Zionist involvement, and you know, sure. and all right, I'll focus on that. that. So, in all this research that I started doing on all these events, these terrorist, so-called terrorist attacks. Um, I started finding a lot of patterns there, historical patterns of 
explosions, craters that could only have been done by nukes, but yet never reporting radiation fallout. And I started, you know, research, well, how would they do that? How would they do it? It has to be a nuke. There's no way they're going to put high explosives in there in these sort of situations to be able to do this. So, so I started looking about these called third generation nukes and uh, that could be designed however you want. They, I mean, basically if you're familiar with the neutron bomb, which was a big to do in the seventies, uh, it's a third generation, it was a first generation, third generation, but they've made some which are, are minimal residual radiation. They don't mm-hmm. have it. Or you can make some that are EMP, the electro, you know, that have these pulses that go out and shock everybody's electronic. You can design them however you want. This is what they call third generation nukes. And Israel was right in there. Even Timur Hirsch said, you know, he showed the information that he got from Venunu, this guy who was working there at the Mona, and said, yeah. and they, also, they got a neutron bomb there. You know, if they got a neutron bomb, they can do anything. And that's a very sophisticated weapon, a neutron bomb. Uh, it's, a, it's a thermonuclear bomb. It's a hydrogen bomb for all, you know, for all intents and purposes. It's, you know, it combines fission and fusion. Mm. And, but it's, you can tailor it to whoever you want to, the output, not just this big blast. You can tailor it to whatever you want to. Wow. And the United States, uh, you know, five countries that I found had discovered how to do this or had death tested uh, neutron bombs. The United States was the first, Soviet second, Israel third, and then France and China. Those five countries are all, all the other Nuclear powers have not shown, they, they say they might be able to do it, or they can do it. They haven't done it, as far as we know. But if you can do that, you can do whatever you want to. Now, all the other countries, those other four are kind of accountable to people expecting them. You know, they, you know, they don't seem to have any kind of proof. But the one country that is unaccountable, that won't let anybody inspect it, right. and that I know darn well has these things, is Israel. Right. Okay. So verifiably, by the way, for those that don't know that it's, it's nuclear ambiguity does not hide the fact that they've basically admitted that they have nuclear weapons. And so have many other countries around the world, just so people know that. So go ahead. And people will call these tactical nukes. Okay. Uh, they call that they're designed to minimize radiation. They don't call them third generation, but they minimize radiation. OK, that's saying something because when they drop a bomb, most likely any fallout is going to come back to Israel, prevailing winds. Right. If they're mm-hmm. on their borders or wherever they're dropping these things, they could come back and they don't want that. So they've been pushing, you know, even though they talk about it, the people who do talk about it say, of course, duh, of course, they would want these kind of weapons. They would say, yes, they would go and steal the technology from whoever or, you know, get somebody to send them information, whatever the heck it is. Which, so, again, you know, is a true is a reality of what happened between the United States and Israel. Like these are true, you know, people. You, we, it's funny oh, yeah. when we talk about these things in these circles, because it seems like these are accepted realities. But for those that are new, what he just mentioned, there is a verifiable fact that Israel is, is stole technology from the United States a lot. You know, and these are bigger conversations that it like or even going back to things like. Uh, I mean, any number of events where Israel's been involved that the U.S. government's been aware of that those have been ignored. These are things yeah. that you can prove today, you know? So that's that's context for what we're talking about. So please continue. The United States is not going to do anything about that. They right. can't. I mean, they, now I'd say I, that's a little joke. They've had times where there's been tensions. Thinking, of course, John F. Kennedy was the first one. A lot of people, if you look at the Michael Collins Popper, you know, says that the Kennedy, Kennedy's issues with David Ben-Gurion over the, the Mona Project was what, got Kennedy assassinated. And other times there have been uh, other presidents who've had tensions, Nixon, uh, Carter, uh, Reagan, you know, these presidents later, Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, they've had troubles with the uh, Israelis and they tried to see if they could push them 
and oh, they never win. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, Israel has a lot of Israel has a lot of tactics available to their under the sleeves. It's, it's not even up for debate. Clinton, you know, think of blackmail. You know, sexual blackmail. Yeah, exactly. Or, or I mean, the whole Epstein overlap has very clear directional. I mean, even even. Uh, I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. Uh, Acosta made it clear that the Israeli intelligence was involved with Epstein as well. And, you know, these yeah. things are not up for debate. The Israeli government has obvious influence over un- unjustified influence over U.S. policy. Like th- this is what we were mentioning earlier, saying those things that we can prove in no way is about racism or anything about Jewish people in this conversation. And that's the problem with these no, things. I, get I, totally say, I just say Israel, sometimes Zionist. That's all. Yeah, I exactly. Say. Exactly. It's important. So, but uh, I mean, and like this player, right? we mentioned that Joe Viles, V-I-A-L-L-S, uh, is, I'm pretty, I'm doing a thread on this, this I think he's pretty much is Ari ben Menashe. Menashe uh, mm-hmm. disappears into Australia sometime around 92 after, you know, all hell break. He publishes this book, um, you know, uh, the, yeah, the, the cost of the war, I can't remember, the cost of war or something like that. Um, and he disappears. It doesn't show up again until like 2001. And out of the Australia, there's all of this guy, Joe Viles, is publishing all this stuff about mini nukes, Israel, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, stuff that reads just like something that Joe Viles would know about, or yeah. Ari Bentanashi would know about. Plus, he also was the one who was the one who revealed all this, you know, what about Epstein and the whole sexual. But he's talking about in Joe as Joe Viles, he's talking about Israeli nuclear terrorism and extortion extorting countries like Australia themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here he's talking about sexual extortion or sexual blackmail too. So there was that thing there. Nobody's explored. Nobody has really touched between Joe Biles and Ari Bendanashi, but I think there's ripe for picking us to this guy who's still alive. <laughs> you know, he's still living in Canada somewhere, you know? And uh, so, I mean, I found this kind of stuff from Joe Biles and, but also started looking at the whole cover up, and there was this whole pattern of, you know, means, motive, and opportunity. Who had the means, motive, and opportunity? So at each of these events, I would say, well, Israel has the means. They can do these kind of nukes. I know they can go in there and step in. Whoever, whatever, Mossad, I don't care what part of the government is going to do this kind of thing. And they always have the opportunity. They're infiltrated everywhere. They can do these things. They can do these things in New York City. They can do these things. The question is, you know, uh, motive. Do they have the motive? And a lot of times you dig into the newspapers or the evidence that's out there, the whatever documents have been released, they said, yeah, they got, you know, they got a motive for almost anything that happens in the Middle East and elsewhere too. It's part of this greater war on terror that they lost right. in 1979. I mean, that's just this big umbrella thing that can justify practically any kind of action uh, that would benefit Israel. If you can get more people on board the war on terror, or I call it the war of terror, right. you know, then, then uh, they win and they win and nobody... Nobody in the media will hold them accountable. Nobody will touch these issues. I say Israel, nukes, everybody runs like a bunny. They don't want to talk about this. Joe Viles did. He's officially died like in 2005, only to become like Ari Ben-Banashi again. But, uh, and, well, there's also the, the, the financial overlap to all of this that I think plays a, plays a factor in regard to the Israeli involvement as well. I mean, I, I even just recently was talking about the idea of just – emergency governance where we are i mean we know that at the beginning of all this there was every i mean we never really left that state of emergency governance i mean even i think it was the sec the the federal reserve i mean everyone was declaring emergencies based on all this which i think changed the face of all yeah exactly and and i think that the israeli involvement in that is undeniable like i I will point to james corbett's work on the 9-11 suspects and the dancing israelis it's very important but so back to the nuke point in that in general so would you what an average person listening might say why would they 
choose to use a tactical nuke just instead of some other kind of bomb? Like what, why, why do you, what's the, what's the thought process and why that was the choice? And, and, and why would they deny they had anything to do with it? And everybody buy that uh, because they said never would harm people. Israel does that in, in the, you know, they did dead of night. They want if they want to add it, you know, so it doesn't fit an Israeli pattern. Well, if you start looking in, I said, I started with well, Joe Biles. No, I actually, I take find a, a pattern, an MO. I know, take it back. What I mean actually is, is more in regard to in any, whoever was responsible. Oh, why what's the thought process and why they would choose to use a tactical nuke versus something Something else like what's right, the... so the question you say tactical nuke because which can mean a lot of things but federal people say tactical nukes they don't mean one of these third generation nukes okay so nobody talks about third these generation. third generation nukes they're talking about these things which are basically uh fission bombs mm-hmm. you know they're talking about something which is like first generation yeah more sophisticated this way or that way but still they're not thermonuclear you know there's no fusion element to this device and uh and uh, they're certainly not third generation to be designed. That mm-hmm. and the great thing about third generation is that you can you can make it basically a blast bomb. You can make it so that there's except for unless you know how to look for these rare isotopes in the soil or whatever, mm-hmm. you can make it so it's it's plausible deniability. You can have the blast planted by a very small group of people instead of having piles and piles of. Uh, you know, high explosives, you know, to do this, you can have one, a small group of people go in there, execute this thing, you know, and, uh, and create this massive explosion. Just like, my God, look at the Beirut blast. This thing is a monstrous mm-hmm. explosion there. But I, but and, I guess and still deny that it was, uh, that it wasn't, you could say it was ammonium nitrate and people buy it. Cause look, I, I think what you're saying is logically sound. I just mean that why would, they choose to take the nuke, even if they could cover it up. What's the benefit of using, and I take it back, a, a third generation bomb that you're discussing? What would be the logic of using that versus something else? Like, is there a benefit to that? Or is it has to do with the cover up? What, what's your thought process on that? That it's, uh, it can plausibly deny that it is a nuclear weapon and get away with it. Uh, the media will not touch this. The governments won't touch it. The government, oh, uh, I see. No because of the fact it. that it's a nuke. They can do it. And everybody in power knows they did it. And they act that way. They know this is a threat. They can do this, but they can't prove it. And they, if you have the media in your hand and you have this thing and you can't find, uh, you know, radioactivity, which is the go-to. Everybody said, well, how can you nuke? You got a radioactivity. So nobody wants to talk about the existence of these things because that eliminates the whole question about, well, maybe there won't be any radioactivity. They don't mm-hmm. want to open that. That's a whole issue they don't want to open up. But it's like, it's mostly, it's like extortion. If it was a nuke, then they'd have to say, well, you know, oh, well, was it the Russians who did it? You know, was it the Americans who did it? But they, you know, or the Israelis, because they know Israelis, so would the Israelis do it? But if it's not a nuke, because nobody will talk about it, then they can say whatever they want. And they can pin the thing on some high explosives, some truck bomb, or some ammonium nitrate in a warehouse, or whatever they want to say, or, or planes crashing into a Twin Towers. You know, that's what caused all this whole World Trade Center right. complex. To- I, I, get, I get what you're saying. So that's inter- I mean, I guess the, what I was asking is I think that, you know, in that case, why wouldn't they just then use ammonium nitrate and then use, but I guess then it wouldn't create the explosion they're looking for. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I've talked about this in regard to uh, how it, I, I genuinely think there's an effort in some type of the events like this to seed a part of the narrative that seems unbelievable about a real thing. So it's almost like counteracting. So when people talk about it, they go, well, that's ridiculous, even though 
it's meant to look like this kind of what you're saying is that the idea of that new conversation is the very reason that it gets dismissed so easily. Is that kind of what you're saying? And that makes sense. I mean, I get yeah. how that could work. Well, people don't know this stuff. They don't know anything about nuclear weapons. They don't know, you know, let alone third generation nuclear weapons. They don't know anything about ammonium nitrate. They don't know what ammonia, they don't know what twin, what planes crashing into buildings do. They don't Most know. Then don't. the experts yeah. come yeah. and say, this is what happens. This is natural. This is course, of course, the color of the smoke. Yeah. That's ammonium nitrate. Uh-huh. Right. Whatever. Right. All BS, complete BS. You can attack right. every single part of the story, but yet people don't know that. And right. who do you trust? You trust experts. You trust somebody who's tweeting something, or you trust the experts. The media pumps, you know, pulls out these experts who say, "Of course, it's natural. This right. is what happens," and uh, and then the story disappears. Yeah, you know, it dies out, and uh, only left for people like the people in Lebanon who are still living with it. Who the vast majority of the ones that I see accept the official story. Uh, really, but yeah, because. Firstly, in Lebanon, the main issue is who the internal enemy. It's not the Israelis. The Israeli is the enemy by the Constitution. You know, the Israeli are the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't benefit anything by blaming Israel for that. You look at who within this government, or was it Hezbollah or the opponents of Hezbollah? Who mm-hmm. was it to be going to blame for this thing? And uh, in fact, I'm working, I just did, recently did a story where we looked at a reporter, an LA Times reporter. He's like the bureau chief there in Beirut now. Uh, for the Los Angeles Times. But, uh, you know, he was doing a little fishy things there right around the time of the blast. And uh, that's the kind of stuff they love. Because if you can find these reporters or somebody within the government doing things like that, mm-hmm. then it's an internal problem. You know, it's an internal issue. And then you go after the internal enemies. And, uh, you know, I don't know for what good. I don't think it's really the problem. You know, there's a bigger problem than that. But yet right. that that's like the mindset. The mindset is, who are the internal enemies? That we could do something about. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. You know, I'm not sure where I place it in my mind in regard to, you know, what what was used. I just I feel like there's so my general point in all this is that nobody should shy away from asking these questions because these Mm -hmm. things are all of these have different points. And, and, you know, you clearly have your background in engineering in these conversations. So I think people should be looking into all of these things. And I think that there's enough evidence at the very least, as always going back to the point that I think we should all agree on that our government was involved to one degree or another in allowing this or be, or, you know, or involved in the very actions themselves. And I think that's important. And so the bigger context of all of this is how this event is used to control us and yeah. how this goes forward. And so do you think, and feel free to comment further if you have more thoughts on Beirut and so on, but I wanted to ask you about, COVID-19. Right. And, and do yeah. you feel, do you feel that, uh, you know, like even the, the nine 11 like event that Trump discussed, do you, do you first feel that that was COVID-19? Do you think that's one of those moments or that it's going to be coming forward? And then do you see nine COVID-19 as sort of like a nine 11 type event? Or like an extension? Uh, well, I was, um, haven't been sort of made by aware by, my 9-11 research, I, I doubted everything I heard on the media. If they're right. pushing a story, I'm thinking right. the odds are it's wrong. <laughs> Maybe more likely the opposite. But then you can't right. trust the opposite because they're pushing a counter story, which right. is also right. But um, I saw it right away. In fact, I remember uh, up until the August when the Beirut blast out, from March until August, I was pretty much tweeting COVID-19, COVID-1984, COVID this mm-hmm. and that. Retweeting, but it was, it was amazing after all this time of doing stuff with 9 11. I was surprised how many people out there were tweeting this stuff with things I could agree with. I right. had a lot of retweeting because there are a lot of people questioning that story from day one. 
You know, nobody questioned I, the Beirut story from Dave. They, nobody questioned it at all, but COVID. So I said, yeah, maybe we actually, maybe this will be different. We've learned from 9-11. There were very few 9-11 people, though, in this story. None of the people, these are all new people now. 9-11 people, truth people were not questioning the, the COVID that I saw. Oh, it was you, all you, you didn't brand see the new people I was following. You know, people like you guys, you know, and there's like, oh. So it's like, yeah. Interesting. I wonder what the block might have been for those. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I, I wasn't actually, I don't, I never saw the the spot to compare the two crowds, but do, so in your perception, there wasn't much of an overlap. Why do you think that is? Well, I think since then, since it's all sort of downturn, people like Richard Gage have kind of come on to question it. But yeah. that was not there at the beginning because originally yeah. the original A911 Truth was strictly focused on this story, you know, about nanothermite and World Trade Center 7. And they didn't want people like me questioning any beyond that because they said, we got enough evidence. We need to take us to the court. That's where the truth will come out. Not what we're doing, but the court. That's where the truth is. I said, ah, I don't think yeah. I'm going to wait for that. Yeah. Right? So they didn't like it. Richard Gates left because he started questioning COVID. I think that was the reason why he left the group and started his own rescue. And so there were people who said, you know, we need to do something more than just question or wait for the courts to take in. We need to actually right. do something. Uh, all these other issues that are obviously asking the same kind of questions. So it gradually they did come on, but I was from day one, all these new people, and I saw all these different stories. But the first things I saw was just the BS of the whole story. I didn't, I saw people that were pushing the, the Wuhan and things. You know, I said, maybe, but all I see is BS, 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 BS. Everything about this is orchestrated. They could have done this out of with nothing. They could have just created. Although my wife got COVID and it was something nasty. It was a summer flu, which was a nasty flu. So it's okay. There's something. So that experience, personal experience said, there's, I didn't get it. All right. I got a very mild version, but she got something in the summer of 2000 uh, that was okay. This is weird. Whatever that is, is weird. So at that point I said, I, I don't know what that is, but it's definitely not a normal flu that hits you in the summertime and hits you really hard. Hmm. But, um, you know, we didn't go, we weren't going to get vaccinated. We weren't going to say, no, 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 no. So I didn't trust. And I continued, you know, tweeting, although now that eventually the, uh, the original stories unfolded and people are kind of moving towards some other position, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing so much or tweeting that much about it, but as to where it, you know, to me, in terms of what the government did with it, whether there was real or not, they stepped in and did with this thing exactly what they did after 9-11. I agree totally with the exactly. show that you did last night. They were prepared for that, and they did it. And so they, and, it, it didn't have to be real. It didn't have to be a real threat. I think now it was something to it. But what it was, I don't know. And I'm not going to be able to do that kind of research. A lot of people tell me this and that. And a lot of people question me. And I don't see it really having changed much, though. I don't, like, guys, yeah, so that's disappointed. Like the human solution. Yeah, we need a human solution, you know, because they're going to do it again. And I'm not thinking you guys are going to react any differently than you did the first time. I, I subbed in the schools where I had to wear the damn mask if I wanted to sub. And I was like, God, I hate this. I had this very thinnest possible you know, mask I put I, on, you know, you know, that was not really a mask at all. I got away with oh, that. I, I would say, though, I would I would add a more of a positive note there is I actually believe that we will see something different this time. And I, I mean, I, I we've, we've already seen people. There's always going to be enough of a crowd that's going to be passive and that they can point at as the majority. I think that's always going to happen. The media will pair at them. But I think that even at the end of the kind of the latter part of the, the, the last kind of surge of this agenda, which hasn't gone away, you saw that even the people that were going along with what they did we're already stopping the, the last shot, you know? And so yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful at the very least, I'm hopeful that more people are going to take a stand this time. And that might right. be enough to slow it I down. Too. But... 
I don't want to do this again. <laughs> that yeah, was horrible. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but I, I think that you're right, though. I think that it's so it's so important. And again, we should be watching for that right this moment. Yeah. For them to grab that microphone. I think so this is the way somebody framed it in the beginning of COVID is the US government always has the, the, the like you just said, they, they love to grab the microphone right in the beginning and set the narrative. Within, you know, Trump came out and did exactly yeah. that. Wuhan flu, they didn't let us know. Even though you can prove that while he was saying that, at the very least, the U.S. government knew that there were people involved with what was going on on the ground, that there was that they used the Chinese sequence on January 11th to be the basis for all of their injections while claiming China was hiding information. None of that adds up. You know, so I think you're right. I think there's obviously, you know, whether Trump knew that or not is people, what people can question. But that's a point at which they were already trying to set a narrative when they already knew that they were lying. So I think this entire thing is is 9-11 part two, in my opinion. Well, I think, I, go ahead. I mean, I, I wished I hoped that the uh, 9-11 truth effort, which was still around, hadn't died out, really. And the COVID truth would kind of come together to energize mm-hmm. some critical mask. I thought also, I hoped that after the Beirut blast in August of 2020, that, that somehow that would have added some more questions. But nobody, no, nobody did that. But it's like, if, if everybody considers these truth movements as separate, you know, and then they're all the way they divide and conquer. You know, you're, exactly. you, you, you're, you have to come to the point where you question every darn thing because that's what you really need to do. And people, it's really hard to exist when you question every darn thing and you can't trust experts. You can't trust your doctors. You can't trust scientists. You can't trust. I I disagree with that actually. And I I love, I'll write up until that point, hundred percent agree with it, but I disagree on the fact that I I actually believe that we should have always been doing that. And let me explain is that it's not just question everything as if nothing is like, Question everything while entertaining all possibilities. That's just much longer to say, right? Yeah. And so I, I too, I love it. Question everything is so important to me. But I think like we're at a point where we have gotten comfortable, or at least we were, where people were trusting what the government said, trusting what politicians said, what the media said, what the doctors said, trusting the science. Like none of that was smart, in my opinion. We always should have been engaging with it, but being skeptical because that's how authority need we need to be skeptical of authority. So I see this as a really positive turn back into the way we always should have been. But it's, it does feel very uncomfortable because we're not used to it, right? And so now we're in this phase where our, these pockets of comfortableness where we'd sit back and be like, oh, I can trust this and just not think about it. Now we're being forced to question and think about it, you know? So maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but I would argue it's much, it's for the greater good of the larger understanding of the truth. You well, know? I'm totally, I'm totally comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I have no, I go beyond where most people will feel comfortable going. I know. Right. But uh, I mean, I was, uh, when we had to get my kids vaccinated back in the 80s um i i was the whole vaccine thing i remember they were saying you have to do this you have to do that i said well i never had to do that and my wife didn't have to do that uh why do we have to do it now mm-hmm. how many vaccines right away and no i don't think so well, we were rebels back then because i i was waiting for god oh you think we would say something you know we know better that's what doctors act like back then they did it too we know better mm-hmm. this is what you should do and you know by the way if you want to go to school you're going to have to do this a public school it's like, this is, I don't know. They, I never heard a good explanation. And that's the way I have always not trusted authority. But then again, I, I bought into the 9-11 thing because I don't know what the hell's going on with that. Well, that's, and, hey, that, uh, that's the whole point about the trauma-based kind of issue. When, you yeah. know, let's, let's, let's end with this question here. And I think this is important for, you know, because pe- you're researching this, you know, people would want your opinion in general. So, how, you know, it, from your perspective on what you've seen, from the, as far back of these events that you've studied to COVID-19 and forward, how in your mind do we break free from this cycle of 
what I what I'm taught what I framed earlier as trauma based mind control or however you want to look at it, like using these shocking events to either put in fear, make you passive or really just psychologically break you. How do we break free from that or attempt to see get past it at the very least? What are your thoughts? Okay. on that? Um, so I've I've tweeted this a bunch of times over the years. Uh, my idea is uh, it's called the scientific method. Yeah. All right. This is not trust the science. It's the opposite of trust the science, right? It's the scientific method, which I was very familiar with growing up because I was pushed into the sort of sciences. You know, the scientific method is where you basically don't trust your own opinion about things. You don't trust your, you want to experiment. You want to test. You have a hypothesis. You have to test this thing. And the scientific method, and there's, you know, I have these wonderful philosophers who laid it out, you know, decades ago, mm. you know, what that means. You, you question yourself, you question yourself, constantly question yourself, question everybody, you question everything. Right. You doubt, you doubt, you doubt everything. You can say. And then you, you, you put, pit it against the evidence, whatever you can start with, you pit it against the evidence and you keep pitting against the evidence. You keep pitting. And when it doesn't explain the evidence, you know, then you try to find a better solution and you find it. And you never, that's why I don't talk about, absolute truth. I put hashtag truth or quote because you never reach truth. You find the best answer for the present for something. And I did this as an engineer. I learned as an, I was a very good engineer for a short time. Five years, I was an engineer. I was a very good one. And I, that was the, my whole philosophy. Ask a lot of questions, talk to as many people, research as much as you can, go out and test, 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 see if this works. If it doesn't work, try something else. Right. And as an historian, I did the same. I was fortunately kind of a weird historian. That was the way I went to history as analyzing problems. Analy- and, but it, it came up with answers that I thought were the best answers. It would leave everybody else in the dust because they could do what I did or it was hard enough even understanding what I did. But that's what I'm afraid to ask those questions, I would say. Yeah, well, they're not going to. They can't understand how you did it or they can't do the, you know, for certain kind of technical skills like mathematical skills or something that require. Mm-hmm. So, but I still say, and I think everybody can do this. Anybody. You don't have to have a degree in anything. You don't have to have a high school diploma to be able to question yourself, question right. and question everybody else. And then, you know, I usually go with your gut, you know, for your first effort, but then test your gut. You know, does it make sense? Look at that evidence. I mean, what I do with my tweets and my threads is I present evidence, ask questions and present evidence. I said, look at the evidence. Does this make sense to you? And the whole official story is it's easy to just tear them apart. But, you know, don't trust me. Don't make me a guru. I hate gurus. You know, don't trust anybody because they think they come across. Like you said, some people in 9-11 truth want to be the guru. They want to be the person. who. No, don't trust anybody. Don't trust me. Look for yourself. I'm presenting evidence. Dig up. I have links. I don't just say spout this little thing. I have, there's a link. Just look at it. Look at it. Link. You know, does that make sense to you? And when, you know, as Buddha said, when you know in your heart that this is the truth, well, then you can accept it as true, right? But uh, it's hashtag true. You know, it's like until other evidence is presented. But now how, the schools don't teach us. The universities do not teach scientific. They teach authority. Right. By this because Newton said it or by this because Einstein said it. Don't question it. They don't test you about it. They don't want you to question. Even in history, what I taught my other fellow history teachers, they don't want you to question stuff. As they question, right. you can have your opinion, but you better stick to like something you can cite. You know, what's your footnote for that thing? You know, which means an authority, right? Who said right. it before, not just what you think. So schools are not taught that way. So for this to happen, you'd have to have like homeschools or something where people are taught, you know, the scientific method or schools have to be forced to teach it. But there's no push in the schools to teach that. They like their learn by authority, learn by, right. you know, around the world. This is not, you know, this is like around the world. The, you know, Arabic schools is like memorize the Quran. You know, that's, you get a, a PhD in memorizing the Quran. Like, 
It just comes down to questioning everything, right? I mean, it's the same point. Like it's, 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 a, it's a long way of saying generally that you just need to be skeptical about whatever, including your own opinion. You know, and I think that's outstanding. It's a great, great place to end on in general. And I think people out there will, in, you know, take that in and recognize that how I hope so. obviously people are being misled. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I hope so. That's one thing I take when I'm trying people comes to that question, like a philosophical question. I say the scientific method is the best I've come up with right now. Absolutely. And this is what I mean by doubt, 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 question, question, evidence, evidence, test, test, test. Then you have just the best answer. You don't have truth. You have the best answer for the present. Right. right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I appreciate your time and, and it's been an interesting conversation. Yeah, anything, very good else, conversation. anything else you want to leave us with upcoming events no. or scientific method? Hashtag there, you truth. There, you, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Bruce. I appreciate your thank time. You, Ryan. As always, everybody out there, question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Yeah.